today, uh, we're actually we're gonna start, as Emily said, a short series called The Best Christmas Ever. And yes, we know what that sounds like. We know that it's been a tough year. You know, we've, we've felt it too. There's been some good mixed in for sure, but it's been hard. I mean, it's been confusing and exhausting on so many fronts, so many hard days and disappointments along the way, and so much tension and division and uncertainty. And, and as we look ahead to Christmas, I mean, that's a mixed bag too. There's anticipation like every year, but there's also a lot of disappointment mixed in. I mean, I'm thinking like for me, there are a lot of family members, members that I look forward to spending time with each Christmas, and, and this year it's just not gonna happen. Uh, my brother and his wife, Emily's brother and his family, my aunts, uncles, cousins, my grandma, I won't get to be with any of them this year. And that's disappointing and it's sad and it's okay that it's disappointing and sad, but in the midst of all of that, we want to take another look at the first Christmas, at, at the best Christmas ever, and consider how hope and joy and peace came in the middle of a time that was disappointing and confusing and uncertain and hard. And hopefully that can help us make this Christmas, with all of its disappointments, all of its weirdness and uncertainty, great and meaningful. This morning we're gonna look specifically at Matthew chapter one and consider what that first Christmas would have looked like for Joseph, Jesus' dad. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter one. The verses will be on the screen as well. Now, there aren't many stories more familiar to us than the story of Jesus' birth. Whether or not you have ever been to church in your life, most of us know the basics of the Christmas story just from the songs that are on repeat on the radio all December long. There's the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus in the manger, and then there are shepherds and angels in a star, and uh, you know donkeys, I don't, and, and, and then the wise men, and they bring these really weird baby shower gifts, right? Like we, we have these pictures of what the Christmas story is just culturally around us all the time throughout the month of December. And because it's so familiar, I think it's really easy to sort of flatten the people in this story to kind of emotionless robots to kind of float through unaffected by what goes on around them. But reading this and realizing that this stuff actually happened in history to actual people with actual emotions, actual fears and hopes, like, it's just crazy. So we're gonna take some time and consider what this first Christmas must have been like for Joseph. And I'm telling you, it's nuts. So what do we know about Joseph? Who was this guy? Well, as we'll read here in a minute, he was engaged to a nice girl, he had a, a good job as a carpenter, and he ended up living in a small, unimportant town called Nazareth, raising his family there. And it seems that Joseph was extremely, almost unbelievably, exceedingly average. He was the epitome of an average Joe. Joseph the average Joe. Here's how average Joseph was, all right? In Matthew 13, Jesus has been going around teaching and performing miracles for a little while, but then he comes back to Nazareth, his hometown, the home 
town that Joseph and Mary raised him in. Now, Joseph was almost certainly dead by this point, but here's how people react when Jesus pays his hometown a visit. Matthew 13, starting verse 54, says this, coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this Mary, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Are all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? It says, it says here that the people were amazed, which was a pretty normal reaction to Jesus, right? But did you notice what exactly they were amazed by? They weren't really necessarily amazed at Jesus' teachings and miracles. They were amazed that this was one of Joseph's kids. Verse 54, they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Also, did you catch how they referenced Joseph there? Joseph there? The people from his hometown, and we're talking like four to 500 people max in this town. They call him the carpenter. It's like they don't even remember his name. Uh, it's a... Uh, uh, isn't that ah, the, the carpenter? Um, what's his, you, know, you know who I mean. That's his son? Where did he get this wisdom and power? Because he definitely didn't get it from his dad. Like That's kind of the vibe that's going on here in Matthew 13. Joseph was so forgettable. They couldn't even come up with his name and so unremarkable that they thought, like, there's no way that that guy would have a son this amazing. Joseph was exceedingly average. And that really shouldn't surprise us because all throughout the Bible, God uses unremarkable, unimpressive people to accomplish his mission. Abraham and Sarah, they were old. Moses had a stutter. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a beggar. David was so unimpressive that his own dad forgot about him and left him out in the field. The disciples, they were a really unimpressive lot. And Paul, the apostle Paul, One of the main things that those who opposed Paul kept pointing out was that he was not a good speaker. He was just not impressive. But God doesn't care about all of that. The thing God cares most about is completely overlooked by pretty much everyone else. What God cares about, what he values, is faithfulness. And as we'll see, Joseph was faithful. He wasn't impressive, but he was faithful, and God used him in massively important ways. What do we care more about? What do, what do I think more about? How to impress people or how to be faithful to God? So Matthew 1. Matthew 1 is where we first meet this really average guy named Joseph. So let's start reading in Matthew 1, verses 18 and 19. Here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. All right. If we look at Luke chapter one, he tells us that an angel named Gabriel came and visited Mary. 
He told her that God had chosen her to be the mother of his son, the, the one who would save the world. And she not only said to Gabriel, whatever God wants, she was excited about it. She wrote a happy song about it. Joseph, on the other hand, he's moving through his average life, plans set ahead of him, and then Mary comes. Honey, we need to talk. I'm pregnant. Uh, how can that be? Because we haven't, I know, I asked the angel the same thing. Mary must have sounded crazy. But for Joseph, there's no way he would have believed this. To hear your fiance basically admit that she had been unfaithful to you and then insult your intelligence by telling you some ridiculous story about it being a miracle and angels, anger, disappointment, confusion, I'm sure that that doesn't even begin to describe what Joseph was feeling when Mary told him this news. A little context here is helpful as we consider how Joseph is navigating this. An engagement in those days had the permanence of marriage, even though the couple wasn't actually married or living together or anything. Even here, did you notice in verse 19, Mary and Joseph are just engaged, but he's already called her husband. In fact, if Joseph had passed away during this time, Mary would have been considered a widow. These days, if, if someone breaks off an engagement, the woman you know, often will give the ring back, and, and it's not fun or easy, but it's a lot more like a dating breakup than anything else. But for Mary and Joseph, their engagement was so binding, it would have taken a divorce to end it. So how is Joseph going to respond? His, his fiance is pregnant, and he knows he's not the father, Verse 19 tells us something extremely important about Joseph. It says that he was faithful to the law. Joseph was committed to following God, so he paid close attention to his life and close attention to what God said in his words so that he would know how to live. So in this crazy and confusing situation, Joseph looked to God to see what God had to say. He looked in God's law. And the law on this was clear. If someone was found to be unfaithful during an engagement, there was only one option, and it was divorce. Joseph had to divorce Mary. He had no other option under the law. He did, however, have a choice about how he was going to divorce her. The route that most people would have taken would be to divorce her publicly. He'd have to bring her in front of the religious leaders and tell everyone that she clearly had been unfaithful. It would be a spectacle. Mary would be put to shame in front of everyone. And she would never, for the rest of her life, be able to live down the stigma associated with that. And if Joseph did it this way, there's a chance he would have gotten his dowry back from Mary's father. So there was even financial incentive to divorcing her publicly. But there's another way. There's another option for how Joseph could divorce Mary, and that was to do it quietly. He had to gather a couple witnesses and, and, and divorce her in front of them. And yes, he would probably have to answer some questions of friends and family who are saying, like, hey, what happened? What happened to, the, to your engagement? But, but handling it quietly would spare Mary a lot of the public humiliation. 
this was a horrific situation for Joseph to be in, and he only had two options, and both of them were kind of bad. But after wrestling with what to do, Joseph chose the more merciful route. Even though it seemed like Mary had betrayed him in the worst possible way, Joseph didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he decided to divorce her quietly. And then he fell asleep. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him to the name Jesus, because he will save people from their, his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. An angel shows up in a dream to Joseph and says two sentences. Just two sentences, but their implications are huge. Right off the bat, the angel tells Joseph what to do. Take Mary as your wife because she's telling the truth. Make her your wife and make that baby your son. And then the angel tells Joseph more about this baby. This baby is from the Holy Spirit. This baby is the son of God. And this isn't, just some, this isn't just some baby that God decided to bless in some unusual way with special abilities. This is God literally becoming human. God taking on flesh. But also, did you see how the angel addressed Joseph? He called him the son of David, and that's important here. Because in the Old Testament, God made a promise to King David that the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior, would come from his family. So this child that Mary is carrying, God is telling Joseph to bring this child into his family, to bring him into the line of King David, fulfilling the promise God had made all of those years ago. With these two simple sentences, the angel is telling Joseph that this child is the child that God promised Eve would crush the head of the devil, destroying the power of sin and death. This is the child that God promised Abraham would be a blessing to the whole world. This is the child that God promised David would rule on his throne forever. This is the child God promised Isaiah would proclaim the good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, give sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, and bring us back to God. That is who this child is, that the angel is saying, hey, Joseph, that's, that's who Mary's pregnant with. And they told Joseph, name him Jesus. Jesus, which in Hebrew literally means the Lord saves. Because this baby was coming to do just that. To save his people from their sins. This is who all of Israel had been waiting for. For hundreds and thousands of years. This is who Joseph grew up hearing about. Waiting for. And now he's finally here. Matthew then adds this little note in here. 
that all of this that Joseph found himself in the middle of was to fulfill what God had promised to the prophet Isaiah some 700 years earlier. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was always God's plan. He would come to be Emmanuel, to be with us. God came to be with us in the person of Jesus. He came near to us even though we were sinful because he wanted to bring an end to our sin and bring us back to him. This is incredible. This is the good news. And can you imagine for Joseph what it was like waking up from this dream? I mean, consider the, the week he had just had. His fiance comes saying she's pregnant and has some harebrained story about an angel visiting her and this baby's from God and you spent all this mental and emotional energy sorting through the anger and the hurt and the confusion and figuring out what to do next and finally you decide they're gonna divorce her quietly and then after all that, God says, hey, don't worry, she was telling the truth. Oh, and I want you to be the dad of my son who's a savior, okay? Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. It's unbelievable to think about what Joseph was thinking and feeling. You know, if I'm in Joseph's shoes, I'm thinking, God, thank you. I mean, this is really helpful. Like, thank you for telling me how to proceed. Thank you. Thank you for sending the Messiah. More than that, thank you for sending the Messiah. This is amazing. But couldn't you have told me this just a couple days ago? Like, couldn't you have just sent Gabriel to my house after you sent him to Mary's house? It wouldn't have been that hard. Man, God works on his own schedule, doesn't he? You know, often he lets us struggle with what to do next before giving us an answer, if he ever gives us an answer. Because God works in us in those moments as we try to figure out how, how to live in this world, how to, what to do next, how to honor him with our lives. We try to figure out how to live faithfully and God is working in us as we wrestle with that. And, and God doesn't want to short circuit that by just dropping easy answers in our, in our lap. He let Joseph wrestle with this for a reason. As some of you know, my wife and I struggled with infertility for a couple of years. And during that time, we had some pretty significant bumps in the road as we pursued adoption. Since then, God blessed us with three amazing kids. And he's never given us an answer as to why we struggled with infertility. He's never given us an answer as to why the road to adopting was so hard. He hasn't told us, and I don't think he ever will. And that's okay. Because he had his reasons. He was doing something in us, and he may have been doing something through us in all of that that we don't know yet that we may never know, but God's timing is perfect. It is always perfect. He wasn't late to tell Joseph about Jesus, about the Savior coming. But when he did tell Joseph, how did Joseph respond? 
verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she, had, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph's response to this message from God was to obey immediately. When he woke up, he did what the angel had commanded. He went to Mary, he told her he wasn't going to divorce her, and that he was going to make her his wife. He was going to be with her every step of the way and raise this little Messiah baby with her. As Matthew said earlier, Joseph was faithful to the law. And that is 100% true, but Joseph's reaction here shows that for him, it was more than that. Following the law was never the goal. Following God was. So when God showed up and said, Joseph, do this. He obeyed immediately. Now, let's hit pause here for a second. Because this isn't just asking Joseph to go back to what his life was like a week ago before all this stuff happened. Joseph can't just say, great, my plan was derailed, but now like, I can get, go back and marry and easy, like, get right back on that path that I had, the plan that I had before. Raising any child is a massive responsibility that there are a million questions every parent has. And for every million questions, there are about eight bazillion answers on Google, very few of which are helpful. But what about raising the Son of God? Raising the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior? That is a whole different set of questions on top of the normal ones. Imagine what would have been running through Joseph's mind as he considered raising the son of God, right? Like, will, will I have to teach this kid anything? Or will he just know everything when he, you know, kind of comes out? Like, do I, do I need to get him special tutoring in, in the scriptures? Or, like, I get, I mean, he probably had some, he probably knows a lot of that stuff too. Should I teach him carpentry? Or, I'm guessing there are probably more important skills for him to know as the savior. But what are those, and uh, who can teach him those things? And, and like, should we tell people he's the Messiah? Should we keep it quiet? Will he know he's the Messiah? Am I supposed to tell him he's the Messiah? How's that conversation go? Does that come before or after the other talk? Like, like uh, am I allowed to give a bedtime to the Son of God? Like, the number of, th- of questions about authority and how to raise this kid, like, all of those would have been swimming around in Joseph's head. But Joseph's response here shows that he understood something that is so easy to forget. We don't need tomorrow's answers to obey today. We don't need tomorrow's answers to obey today. I I get caught up in this all the time. Thinking I need to know how to handle every what-if scenario that could come up in the next 5, 10, 20 years and put off what God is calling me to today. How will I talk with my son about life's big questions when he's 16? I don't know, but he's six. So stop worrying about 16 and go play catch with him. What does God want me to do after I graduate from college? I don't know, but you got an exam tomorrow. Maybe study. What will I do with my 401 tank, 401k tanks? Like, I, 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 I don't know. 
but there's somebody over there in need, so why don't you go be generous to them? We can get so caught up in, in all of these what-ifs that we miss what God is calling us to do today. And if anyone had an actual excuse to delay obedience until he got a little more clarity, it's Joseph. But he didn't worry about that. He just did the next right thing. He didn't have to know what the right thing two days from now would be because he knew what the right thing was today. And today, the right next thing was to obey God and make Mary his wife. And this kind of quick obedience is a regular pattern in Joseph's life. Not long after Jesus was born, the king, King Herod, heard about him and was insanely jealous, thinking that this son of David might come for his throne. So Herod wanted to kill Jesus as a baby. You know what happened? In Matthew 2.13, another angel came to Joseph in a dream and told him, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. How did Joseph respond this time? Verse 14, he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. He didn't even wait till morning. Joseph had a dream, woke up and left. He didn't wait for the sun to come up. He didn't wait until he got some business things, loose ends tied up. God said go and he left. A couple of verses later, Matthew 2, 19 to 21. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Guess what happened next? Verse 21, he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Joseph is so predictable. Right after that, it happened a fourth time about where they should live. A dream and Joseph obeys. Look, Joseph might have been forgettably average to everyone who knew him, but this man was exceptional when it came to faithfully following wherever God led him as soon as he knew what God wanted him to do. Joseph was faithful and it showed up in three particular ways that I wanna point out here. First, Joseph was faithful in common times. Joseph was faithful when life was uneventful. In the normal, in the mundane, in average days, Joseph was faithful to God. Think about what it said back there in verse 19. It called Joseph faithful, and it's talking about what he was like before his world got turned upside down. Before Mary got pregnant, before angels started interrupting his REM cycles, like before all of that, Joseph was ascribed as faithful. His life was marked by faithfulness when he was nothing more than an average, unspectacular, forgettable carpenter, and all he had was God's word to guide him. You know, people around Joseph, they probably wouldn't have seen this, right? they probably would have missed it because it's in a hundred different ways each day, but God certainly noticed. And it's no accident that this is the man God chose to raise as savior of the world. And there were normal times after Jesus was born. We see Joseph being faithful in those things too. In the book of Luke, it talks about Joseph dedicating baby Jesus at the temple, which he was supposed to do. And it talks about him going to Jerusalem for Passover, which he was supposed to do. Continued faithfulness in the regular rhythms of life. 
what about us? How faithful are we to what we know God has called us to do on a daily basis? Looking looking at the Bible, I know a lot of ways God calls me to faithfully follow him each and every day. But I also know from looking at myself how easy it is to try to find loopholes so I can do what I want instead. I can explain away why it would be weird for me to go ask that person if they're doing okay, even though I know I'm supposed to follow the Spirit's leading and I feel that tug in my heart. But I can figure out how to explain that away. I can find excuses not to forgive or pursue reconciliation with somebody that I'm mad at. I I can downplay gossip so that I can pass around a story that's not mine to tell. You know, we come up with reasons why we don't really need to be generous with someone in need because we don't know if they'll use it wisely. We need to see that they're trying before we give them a handout. But this is not how Joseph lived. He wasn't perfect, but he wasn't looking for loopholes. He was committed to being faithful in common, everyday ways. And that is what made it possible for Joseph to be faithful in crazy times. I don't think Joseph's life was crazy every single day once he found out Mary was pregnant. And his life, you know, as we, as, we, as we saw earlier in Matthew 13, right, like it got pretty normal eventually because the people in Jesus' hometown, they were su- surprised by it because it, they seemed like such a normal average family. But, but for Joseph, those handful of times that God asked him to go out on a limb and do something that seemed nuts, he was ready. And he was ready to say yes to God in crazy times because he was in the habit of saying yes to God in common times. He had flexed the muscles, worked out the muscles of faithfulness in boring everyday ways. So when God asked him to do something big and crazy, he said yes and he was able to stay faithful. You know what? I think I can guarantee which people were most faithful throughout all the craziness that 2020 brought us. I guarantee you that the people who were most faithful during 2020 were the people who were most faithful when life was normal back in 2019. When stuff goes all over the place, sideways, upside down, backwards, is not the time to start thinking like, oh, I need to, I need to get grounded now. Everyday common faithfulness is what grounds us so that we can stay firm and planted and faithful when our worlds get crazy. Faithfulness in crazy times is the fruit of faithfulness in common times. So Joseph demonstrated this. He demonstrated faithfulness in common times. He demonstrated faithfulness in crazy times. And last but not least, he demonstrated faithfulness in costly times. 
think back to that decision Joseph made to take Mary as his wife. That's not as simple of a choice as it may seem. And it's not just because he'd be raising the son of God. Think about this for a second. Mary heard directly from an angel. Joseph heard directly from an angel. But nobody else in that town did. Mary's dad, he didn't get a telegram from heaven. The neighbors, Gabriel didn't stop by there on his way out of town. They did not receive a message from God, but you better believe they noticed that baby bump. You better believe they're able to do the math when it's like, oh, how, how long have you been married? When's your anniversary? Oh, four months, okay. How, how old is your little, little sweet baby Jesus? They were able to do the math. Joseph's reputation was gone the moment he brought Mary home. People would either think that A, he doesn't care about being faithful to the law, B, he's an idiot who, who bought Mary's absurd story about some immaculate conception, or C, he's a liar and he's really the one who got Mary pregnant. He just doesn't have the courage to say it. Joseph could have made a different choice and avoided all of that. He could have divorced Mary, found another nice girl, gotten married, and gotten on, with, gotten on with his normal, uncomplicated life. But instead of distancing himself from Mary, he obeyed God and joined her. He was faithful, even though it would cost him nearly everything. Because when Joseph brought Mary into his home, he brought all the scandal, all the suspicion, and all of the shame onto himself too. But Joseph was faithful in costly times. And in this, Joseph gives us a glimpse, a foreshadow of that little baby in Mary's womb. See, Joseph was going to endure shame for things he hadn't done. Joseph did everything right, and yet was going to be treated by those around him as though he had done everything wrong. And that's exactly what Joseph's son, Jesus, would do 33 years later. Jesus did everything right, and yet he was treated as though he was guilty. Jesus was innocent, but he was also obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, taking the punishment that brings us peace. Jesus never sinned, but became sin so that we might be saved from our sin and become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the perfect son of God, was rejected by God so that we could be received as children of God. Joseph gives us a picture of Jesus. Of Jesus. And that, that is what Christmas is all about, celebrating 
Jesus. The one who came to save his people from their sins. God, may that be true of us this December. May we celebrate your son. May we continue to stand amazed that he would come for us, that he would take on the weakness of human flesh, that he would, even though he was innocent, take our guilt upon himself. God, thank you that he was faithful. Because God, we feel how much we aren't. God, thank you for this yearly reminder that you come for those who are unfaithful like us. God, may we be more and more faithful to you when it's common, when it's crazy, and when it's costly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.